Welcome to It Came From New Jersey, a podcast, if this is your first episode, about music that came from New Jersey. My name's Bob. And I'm Pete. How's it going, buddy? It's going pretty good. Um, You know, we're excited to talk about a record that uh, I'm really curious. I'm actually like more curious to hear from our listeners on what they think about this. Um, but go ahead. What are we, what are we uh, going after today? Well, today we are going a little bit harder. Maybe today is, uh, is chest day at the, it came from New Jersey gym. Um, <laughs> uh, or, or it could be cardio. I don't know. It might be a treadmill day where you really need something that's going to power you up. No, it's more of a lifting thing, right? Like people, yeah. as you might be able to tell from my line of discourse, I, I go to the gym, but, I don't go to the gym. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, th- I think of it as like CrossFit day. Like it's like, it's really scary to me. Oh, okay. Not some- yeah. Not something I would really fuck with normally, you know? Right. Okay. Well, so uh, the record we are doing today is Miss Machine by the band, the Dillinger Escape Plan. Uh, for those of you who are totally uninitiated, we should give some introduction. Um, Dillinger Escape Plan uh, intimately known as the, by their fans as Dillinger. So if we if you hear us drop into calling them Dillinger, uh, that's why. Uh, originally from Morris County, New Jersey, kind of born out of the punk hardcore metal scene, uh, have been a, were around from 1997 to 2017. So 20 year run. When you hear those terms, punk hardcore metal. You might have some assumptions about what that is, and you might not. Let me tell you, this band was one that didn't follow a lot of rules, uh, really bent genres, pulled a lot of influences from a lot of places, uh, and and it shows. So there's a point where we'll do another record that there's, I, I bet, but we started with Miss Machine, uh, their 2004 release, and I believe it's their second full length. Is that right, Pete? Second full length, but they had um, three EPs in the midst of all of that. Right. And so long, long story short, they lose their original vocalist and Malady, Malady, Malady uh, end up doing these EPs. Um, I believe one of which features Mike Patton, who people might know from uh, Faith No More and uh, Mr. Bungle and many other little projects, but this EP he did with Dillinger Escape Plan was was a pretty notable uh, uh, release at that point. Would you say that? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like you said, they started in 97. They put out um, an initial EP, um, and then they, I think they, they kind of got noticed just with that first EP. Um, they then did a second EP called under the running board. And that's, that's actually kind of the era that I came in. I heard them the first time when that came out, um, yeah. going to shows around Jersey. And I remember, I remember seeing them and I remember being really, really, really taken aback by the energy. There was a lot of strobe lights. I, I remember, I remember it being like a really, really scary, aggressive show. And it was like, it was definitely unlike anything I had ever heard at the time or, I don't know, really since. I mean, I feel like they definitely have their own lane. Oh, yeah, for sure. But then uh, 1999, Calculating Infinity was their first full length um, and last record with their original singer. 
um, whose name is Dimitri Minakakis. Sorry for yes. mispronouncing that. Yeah, but um, yeah, Dimitri left the band after that record at some point, but that record was a big deal. Yeah, definitely a big deal. Um, I actually have a vivid memory of buying that record when it came out, and so I must have been, I think, 15, 14. Sounds right, yeah. Um, and for, for whatever reason, my aunt had picked me up, um, I think because I was hanging out with my cousin, and I couldn't drive at the time. And she was like, "Oh, like I, I, I must have, I must have just come from the CD store, and yeah. I got that CD." And she was like, "Oh, what'd you get?" And I was like, "Oh, I got this Dillinger Escape Plan CD." She was like, "Oh, put it in." And it, it was one of those oh, things boy. where I was like, "I, I really don't want to, you know." But she kind of insisted, and oh, she was boy. like, "She was the cool aunt, you know, so she could roll sure. with it." But it clearly she had like, she didn't even know what to do with it, you know. Which I think like, it's it's part of the conversation today, like. This is the this is the kind of band that I feel like a lot of people if if you're not familiar with like like really 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 extreme music like you don't even know what to do with this you know yeah so so to our our listeners thank you also thank you everybody who's been really supportive of the podcast so far it's it's kind of awesome to feel that so thank you thank you thank you uh, for those listeners who. Uh, maybe aren't familiar with Dillinger escape plan. I, I I have to assume that a lot of people are, but I shouldn't totally assume that this is our first true foray into music that I don't know that your weird aunt or weird uncle could get down with. Um, the misfits mm, push some lines, but I feel like, I feel like you could give that to your weird uncle and he could at least like, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is rocking. You know, uh, Monster Magnet for sure, kind of similar. Maybe it's it's strictly for your uncle who who is really into Black Sabbath and you know and that lot. Um, this record and this band in general is is extreme music. It's it's really pushing things, and um, and yeah, I mean we'll get into it. But but Calculating Infinity was notable not just in New Jersey and not just. Um, in the like more underground hardcore whatever metal scene, but it got noticed because of their proficiency, uh, the fact that they were really pushing the boundaries of what the various music styles that they were pulling from did, and also just their competency. Like they're proficient, they were very good, but then they were able to do stuff that others didn't, and they, like Pete said, were able to do it in a live setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember you liking them a lot. I, on the other hand, did <laughs> not like them at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I could trace that to a lot of things, but <clears throat> I found, uh, and I guess we'll talk about calculating. Can we talk about calculating infinity for a second? Cause I think we'll do it at some point yeah. and I'll give it a f- true fresh set of ears. But my memory and doing a tiny bit of research for this episode was that it was really chaotic and um, it had pretty good production, but I wouldn't even compare it to this record. Uh, and some of the more mathy stuff. And and for people who don't know what when we say mathy, um, if you can picture a guitar player. You know, I think people can think of like finger tapping, like solos for like Van Halen, like that kind of thing. 
mathy. Imagine that, except you're doing it on a calculator and going. So hopefully that all comes through in my microphone as I it sounds like in my head. <laughs> but do you, you think know, that's you a know good what way? I to, of? What's that? I thought of the tapping of Morse code, but like mm, on a guitar. Mm. Yes. So there you go. That's a great way to put it. It's like Morse um, code core. <laughs> so, um, so for someone who's like, what kind of gibberish are you guys speaking? We are going to try to pull it back and, and speak more broadly. Abrasive vocals. Uh, give me a true or false as I go through. Abrasive vocals. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and we'll do calculating infinity first. Abrasive vocals. Oh, okay. Um, uh, tempo goes from fast to very fast. Yeah, constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pounding, driving metal guitar. Yep. Um, odd time signatures, off time signatures. Yeah, all over. That's like the, all over. That's their that's their mo. So that's their signature. So this record, if you listen to this record, we'll do track to track. So if you listen to the first song, the Gaslight. An- anthem record and then listen to the first song on calculating infinity uh and then the second song on gaslight anthem the second song on calculating infinity one is very tuneful um you get melody completion you get really kind of like you can feel the song and once you get familiar with it you're pretty comfortable with it with gaslight with dillinger you have at no point having if you've never heard this record before at no point can you truly anticipate what's going to happen next. You think that's a fair assessment? I think that's fair. I mean, um, without getting into it too much, I think at a certain point, you know, some of it becomes not, well, I think they start relying a lot on a lot of the same kind of tricks. Um, I, I think that's fair too. That's not, know, but, yeah. and so that's I, not I, even I, saying it dismissively. I think, I think they are one of the few who could attempt said tricks and pull them off. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it, you know, there might be a slow part and you think it's going to stay slow and it just doesn't, you know, so they'll definitely throw you for a loop regularly, you know? Right. So all that said, and we mentioned, after calculating infinity, that kind of really puts them on a global, like international map. Like they then go, Oh, now you are a band who can tour full time and play festivals in Europe and do full tours, etc., and, and do very well. Um, let's fast forward to 2004 and get into the meat of what we'll be diving into today. Miss machine. Pete, I want to, I'm going to be letting you drive a lot today. Yeah. However, I want to ask you and, and please feel free to, to ask me too. Did you like this record? Um, if it has to be yes or no question, I'm actually going to say no. Okay. Interesting. All right. Um, but that being said, there are definitely tracks and I mean, I, I didn't like, it wasn't like a slog to get through, you know, but it, uh, I don't think I'd really revisit it on any sort of regular basis. Right. Um, Do you think if this record came out when you were, if this record had come out in 2001, let's say, or when you were younger. So, you know, for people who are uninitiated again, 
or if you're just unfamiliar, typically a band will put out a record, uh, you know, every two or three years. The five-year gap between full lengths here was was an anomaly for Dillinger's Escape Plan and just speaking in that world in general. If this record had come out in 2001, do you think you might have been more familiar or checked it? Like, uh, and I should ask, had you heard this record before? I had never heard this record before. So they, after calculating infinity, I was super into that. And then, you know, when you're, when you're 15, I think your musical interests change really, really rapidly, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. I was, I was still into, and I was, I was going deep, you know, all over the place with music. So for me, like I loved calculating infinity and everything before it, I had, I, still would like revisit those records, you know, over the last 20 years, but, um, I never went further than that. I think I remember giving the Mike Patton EP, which came, uh, I think it's called irony is a dead scene mm-hmm. that came out between, uh, calculating infinity and miss machine. I gave that like a maybe five minute listen. I don't even think I finished it when it came out uh-huh. but it was just it was one of those things where i wasn't really super familiar with mike Patton. i wasn't really like like it and i was kind of past like i was just listening to other shit at the time yeah for sure for sure so like yeah i just they they lost me after uh basically after the original singer um so this record, man, are you you might force me to be more charitable. I, I didn't really No, check this out. I don't even yeah. mean to be I don't I don't mean to be like dismissive of the whole thing at all. No, I, I don't mean, think like you we are. can no, we no. can talk through. There's a lot of parts I like, you know. I just um it's uh I don't know. We'll, no, I, I think you said it well. Like there are tracks, there are parts to this. Um and we'll we'll really pull it apart, but this record is not not my boat. Um though I found more redeeming parts in it than I would have assumed. And I will also say this was my first time hearing Miss Machine. And um, as is our process, we try to really soak in a record. Uh, so so I listened to this several times, you know, four, four-ish times, I think, with that yeah, true yeah. deep headphones listen. All this said, because it sounds like the two of us are about to spend about an hour talking about a record that we don't particularly like, but I think we'll be able to pull apart and have fun with. Why are we talking about this record? So I think we're talking about it because, um, you know, we've mentioned a few times, but the premise of the podcast is really just to like dive into, um, records that we're familiar with, but also records that we're not. So, you know, we had discussed talking about Dillinger escape plan, um, kind of just, you know, off air. Um, and I think I suggested calculating infinity. You did. I'm also not super familiar with that being that when I heard it some 20 ish years ago, I was like, nah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that'll be a fun conversation when we have it. But I think, I you know, when, when the two of us were talking, you know, I could, I could go in on calculating infinity because I, I love yeah. it. I, I still think it's great, but you yeah. know, I think the more interesting conversation is like the thing that neither of us have, have heard at all, you know? So I think that's why we landed on Ms. Machine. And I also think calculating infinity, I don't know, like, you know, please folks correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's two camps for Dillinger. It's kind of like calculating infinity is like, 
their shining moment, the apex, you know, mm-hmm. or you're a Miss Machine fan. Um, because I know that, you know, the singer on this record, Greg Pusiato, it was his first record with the band, but he was also the singer from this album until the end, you know? So he was the right. singer of the band for what, 13 years. Yep. And like, you know, a number of albums. So there's definitely a Greg Pusiato camp and like Dillinger post 2004. And then there's, you know, probably a Dillinger, you know, pre 2009. Yeah. Like the, the, the Dillinger purist camp. Yeah. Um, exactly. That's so. No, I think you framed it perfectly. Uh, thank you for doing that too because i I, as i listened to this record i i was able because i knew i know you like calculating infinity and that's going to be a fun conversation we have it but not knowing what you thought of this record made me listen just a little more um let's start there why don't we start there what do you think about the singer because this was kind of a thing at the time and seeing as how you kind of i don't know if you had ever even heard this um, because I think you, they had lost you at this point, but yeah. we, even just being vaguely aware, I remember it was a big deal that like, Hey, Dillinger escape plan has a singer. Uh, and from what I gather, most people really vibed on it. You either were like, nah, I love the original record and that's where I'm going to call it a day. Like you said, or you were like, Whoa, this dude's impressive. So what did you think of the new singer? Um, so let me let me think about this um sorry what's the original singer's name um dimitri dimitri so dimitri listening to greg the miss machine vocalist it was it became really clear to me right away that dimitri was kind of limited in his scope you know it was like typical kind of metalcore vocals um, uh-huh. he had a really limited range, you know, there was no attempts at singing. It was all just kind of the same kind of like guttural vocal. Um, whereas Greg Pusiato goes all over the place. Like, you know, there's choruses where he's singing, there's, you know, he goes, they were definitely going for something different with him. So, um, I liked it here and there. I think that it's not so much that I had an issue with his vocals in certain points. I think I had issues with like what they were trying to do. Like um, vocal decisions. Yeah. 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 So like, um, but that being said, I mean, he has, my point is they have a, he has a much broader range than Dimitri did. And I think that was like a really conscious deci- decision. And I think that, um, you know, again, we keep mentioning the EP with Mike Patton that came before this. I have to think that that had an effect on um, the decision to go with Greg as a vocalist permanently, because there's just a lot more, you know, interesting kind of vocal range decisions in here. Yeah. Um, so let me let me throw out my first big positive. Um, this dude's got a great voice, and everything you said big range i like what he does when he does it even if i'm not in love with the music um or what's going on um or or particularly what he's i'm impressed maybe i should say uh with what he's doing so again like it seems as though they 
were trying to find a vocalist who would fit in with the rest of the band, which is to say someone who is just highly competent and also really adept at moving from one style to another quickly, um, which is sort of what Dillinger Escape Plan, I think, again, one of their signatures. Uh, so I was actually pretty impressed with this dude as a vocalist. And in going back, um, you're right. Uh, Dimitri kind of had more of a straightforward uh, growl, scream, bark. Yeah. Um, Whatever it was coarse. It. And so, you know, just to describe this to the listener who's not in this world of stuff, uh, it's really, really somebody who can do that when they're able to go into more of a falsetto or go sing or or slow it down and show kind of a couple different tones to their voice. It's it's pretty impressive. And I think Greg does that very well and, and really does it all over this record. Um, yeah, he switches from, he switches, his voice is really dynamic. It changes, um, you know, a lot throughout the record. And I think that he hits, like, it sounds great at all. Like whatever he's trying to do, he's, he's doing it well. And I also think that, you know, um, something that, something that I just thought about, you know, it's, it's not just his vocal abilities, which he definitely has, but like just the fact that you can come up with like a vocal pattern for music as complicated as this is impressive in and of itself. Right. Like that's like, that's a talent and requires like a special kind of person, you know, in and of itself. Yeah. Right from jump. No, I, I great point. Um, what, and this is a good entryway into the record and, and maybe we can use this. Well, let's, let's start there and then work back to vocals for a second. Musically with Miss Machine, Dillinger Escape Plan, you know, people have heard us use some words to describe them. They're a very aggressive, uh, math core, metal, hardcore kind of fusion band. With Miss Machine, what do you hear sonically? What, what, how, what, what are some comparisons you'd make? And, and more speaking broadly for a sound, what would, how would you describe this record? Um, it's hard because I want to, I want to make a lot of references. Um, I have two that I'll start with right off the top. Yeah, please. Okay. <clears throat> There's some songs on here, and this is for a broader audience where they are directly pulling from nine inch nails. It's very interesting because that's one of the biggest differences I find from Miss Machine to, well, from Calculating Infinity to Miss Machine is that I hear a lot more tapping into a little bit of industrial, kind of, but it's not, you know, industrial like ministry or uh, what is it? Uh, KMF, you know what I mean? KMF, like it's, PM, the, yeah. yeah, right. It's, it's more filtered through that nine inch nails, pretty hate machine kind of vibe. Um, I which just is to say, say that, um, the song phone home. Exactly. I, I literally wrote nine inch nails next to it. My only note is Nin. Yeah. Yeah. Nin. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 uh, and oddly enough, that wasn't one of their singles off this record. And I was like, huh, because what I think of as a trademark of Nine Inch Nails is that they put out pretty abrasive music and ugly, like hard, angular music 
that definitely doesn't fit as grunge. It's not really metal. It's kind of industrial, but it's more pop accessible than that. So it's, it's this ugly music that, that got pretty big and had just enough melody and personality. I think that it really, it it hit top 40 essentially, you know? Um, so that I hear that, that track 100%, I hear it in little spurts elsewhere on the record. Um, and, and I mean, I hear a little bit of faith, no more the song highway robbery. And this is some Mike pattern. Like I almost did the homework of going, okay, did they, is this a Mike Patton diss track? Was there some falling out, which like, please listeners, I I'm speculating. That's not true. You know, that's just me saying because it sounds like a faith, no more song. Right. And Greg is doing Mike Patton vocals there. It's like to say cosplay would feel unkind, but he is going, Oh, Mike Patton. You want to see Mike Patton? Here's Mike Patton. (laughs) It's, it's pretty impressive actually. Yeah. I actually, since you mentioned that song, I also thought of at the drive-in. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so yeah, I think he's doing, he's doing his Mike Patton, but the band is kind of doing it an at the drive-in impression too. I, I think that's accurate. So, so I hear those things and I notice a really distinct drop off from calculating infinity. There are parts and, and you can, you can correct me or if you want to put this in a different way, there are parts that drop almost into primus territory. And yeah. And what I mean by that is there's no, there's no necessarily bass slapping. So you're not getting that bouncy boom, but you do get that um, dead drop beat where the music stops and you get a bass line going. And, you know, Primus is a very good example of that happening. And one, very few that I can cite uh, that that people would know more than Dillinger Escape Plan would be Primus. And that's gone by the time Miss Machine's around. And it's really replaced. I hear Nine Inch Nails. I hear Faith Moore. I hear At The Drive. And I'm glad you said that because I was like, I'm hearing this. I'm hearing mathcore, metalcore amped up everybody's killing it on their instruments but also this like progressive like it's post hardcore but not in the traditional sense and that's where that at the driving comparison i think comes in because it's like prog post hardcore or prog post metal you know what i mean yeah it's like like at the drive-in who eventually became mars volta for the for the most part, like mm-hmm. it has that kind of Mars Volta thing where it's like taking prog rock to the next level. I mean, like that's the part, the part about Dillinger that kind of evades me is like the mathiness. Like, I don't know how I can. And I guess when you asked me, you know, like who I would compare them to, like the mathiness is the part that I have a hard time with because I don't know like what band would be kind of known to everybody that that's even like in the conversation, you know, like part of me thinks like, it's like Emerson, Lake and Palmer were, were into <laughs> classical music and trying right. to turn classical music into rock and roll. But like these guys took like, I don't know, like video game music and tried to turn it into metal. Like, yeah. Y- yeah. I mean, so that's a good way to explain. So, so this can be a definition, uh, 
episode as well. Punk music, fast, aggressive, usually pretty simple. Hardcore, speed it up even more, at times less tuneful, uh, at times more tuneful, at times more melodic, but but really all this married to this idea of uh, underground sound. Metalcore, well, kind of the hardcore thing, but a little less punk and a lot more leads, uh, a little crunchier, a little chuggier, thicker sound, typically, but not always speaking, uh, more of an emphasis on proficiency and being able to actually play music as opposed to just bang on your instrument. Um, <clears throat> and then you have math core. So think of math core as being um, when metalcore takes guitar lessons and uh, spends a lot of time at Guitar Center. <laughs> um and it's the the ability yeah video game music as metal you know really complicated like it almost sounds inhuman yeah yeah oh absolutely if you if you said that some of those parts were programmed i think most people would listen and and believe that because it's almost hard to believe that there's a person who's able to go on a guitar but I mean, perhaps that's a very positive thing that we could say about going to see Dillinger Escape Plan as you go and you witness people playing their instruments like uh, like hard drives firing <laughs> and, uh, and jacking into the mainframe. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot of Matrix comparisons here. Uh, I remember trying to learn how to play. There's a song on uh, the Under the Running Board EP. It's called The Mullet Burden. Um, uh-huh. and you know, just to put it out there, I think that for me, that like might be like the shining Dillinger escape plan, escape plan moment. Yeah. I remember trying to learn that song on drums when I was 15, just spending hours, like trying to figure out the the rhythm of it. And I still, I'm now 35. I, I haven't done it. And, and for people who are just listening, Pete's a very good drummer. So, um, that's saying something. And I think that most people who are pretty good drummers have at some to- point attempted some Dillinger escape plan and, and found themselves in a similar place as you is going, Oh, all right. Well, that's not happening. Yeah. Not my style. I wasn't, I wasn't born to do it. Apparently. <laughs> but thanks for the compliment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so miss machine going into this record, I was, afraid that on like many records that sound like this, that I was going to have a problem with the structures and that the songs were not going to feel like songs to me because there's a lot of chaos as well, even though it is the most orderly contained chaos as you could imagine, you know, Mm. um, that I was going to find problems with the structure and not feel like there was a tune to follow and I wasn't going to be impressed with the the range and that maybe it's just going to be screamy. Uh, maybe it was going to give me a headache. And, and to be complimentary, I found none of that. I actually was really impressed with song structures. I was really impressed with the tunefulness of a record that we've described as being extreme music and aggressive. Like you can put this on and there are parts that are, are very uh, catchy. And, and, you know, this is from the... Uh, somebody who listens to a lot of this world, but there's parts of this record that are, are quite 
pleasant. Um, and so I, I wasn't, I didn't find any of that to kind of say positives. There's a couple songs here where I think I would revisit, except for the fact that it feels like there's two songs in one. Mm-hmm. And that's where I get into my biggest problem with the record is that there feels like there's a true duality of this record where they want to do, they, they've kind of scrapped some of the more difficult and challenging parts of their music from calculating and are trying to be a slightly more palatable. And maybe you could attribute that to trying to go big, quote unquote, but what I'll attribute it to is attempting to, you know, is, is finding themselves and finding what they wanted to accomplish and, and maybe pursuing a few different interests musically. And I think they nail the point a few times. However, you know, I think I'll use the second song, Sunshine the Werewolf. Yeah. First minute 30. Chaotic, dark, mathy, lots of noodling, lots of this and that. Uh, the song spirals, unravels. It's, there's a lot going on. There's this kind of interlude, a spooky kind of part. And all of a sudden, it becomes this like epic, gloomy, melodic, metallic punk song um, that's pretty mid-tempo and, and really good. <laughs> yeah. And it's about two minutes long, two and a half minutes long. So yeah. on its own, I'm like, wow, that might be my favorite track on this record. Oh, wait, that wasn't its own track. The first half of it is this other thing that was okay, but didn't pull me in at all. Dude, we're on the same page. Cause check this out. The, the second three minutes of that song, um, sunshine mm-hmm, of Marvel, mm-hmm. is my favorite three minutes on the whole album. The wavelength we're on it. All right, good. Yeah. Um, my only thing that I actually have in my notes here, like that second half of that song is the best part of the record, but that, it's total Mike Patton too. Like, Oh yeah. Mike, yeah, Mike Patton, like the, not only the vocal effects, but there's like this keyboard horn effect that goes on at a certain point. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like super kind of weird and off putting. And that's definitely like straight from the Mike Patton kind of songbook. Yeah. Okay. I think I can, I can hear that for sure. Now that you say it, um, Go in. Tell me more about your feelings on this, and then we'll kind of hit some specific tracks because I think there's a lot. There's a there's a lot going on on this record, and yeah. even as we're both saying, like, yeah, you know what? After listening to a bunch, maybe we wouldn't revisit it. I might encourage somebody who's listening to this podcast to go listen to this just once at the least because you'll find something interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just kind of gave your summary, so I'll give mine. But like, I think I think everyone should listen to it just because I think it's even if you have no like kind of relationship with this type of music, I I think your opinion is even more interesting to me, you know? So absolutely. I would would love to hear about it, but um, because I think that certain people, and this is not a diss to the band whatsoever. It's just, it, it just is what it is. Like certain people are going to find this completely unlistenable. Like they won't even know like what to do with it or how to engage with it. You know, Um, for me, I think, so Sunshine the Werewolf is a perfect which is the second song is a perfect example to me of them essentially doing what they were already really good at and just like experimenting with it a little bit. So like I feel like that song in particular could have gone on the Calculating Infinity record, the album that came before this. Mhm. 
and it would have fit in just fine. Um, and that's my favorite stuff on this record. Although I'll say that, and, and that stuff I'm referring to kind of the more aggressive piece of this album. Sure. Sure. Um, everything before this, all the albums, all the EPs I think are more aggressive, more chaotic, more punishing. Um, and I'm a masochist. I like punishing music a lot of the time. (laughs) So like, honestly, like I'm into that. And I think that, um, you know, when I hear them trying, like doing that on this record, sometimes it hits for me. And sometimes I'm just like, ah, it makes me want to listen to the old stuff, which is, it's a, it's a feeling that I really wanted to, I really tried to distance myself from because I really wanted to just take this record on its own accord yes, and not really compare it to anything. Um, and you know, listen, they succeed, I think at like what they're trying to do just for me having that context of the albums before it, I was like, I want angrier. I want harder, you know? Yeah. They do. They do cut some of that. Yeah. Some of the pure, it feels like someone's screaming because they're, that's all they have left is gone here. And it's replaced with, Hey, I can scream and you can tell that I'm good at screaming. So that's why I can do it. Right, right. It's like the more professional version, whereas like the stuff before this sounds like a complete fucking nightmare, you know, at times. Um, and then there's kind of the second half of the record that <laughs> it seems clear to me that, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, you know, but just my perception of it is that they were at a stage where they were kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall. You know, they were like, let's, oh. we, we know that we can't, you like you can't do calculating infinity over and over and over again. It's just never going to work. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to help you professionally. I don't think that it's going to help you, you know, gain any new fans. You might keep the same fan base, but like this is a band that was hitting people were interested. The fact that they got, you know, a guy like Mike Patton to sing on an album of theirs or a record of theirs, like that's like huge, you know? So there was definitely hype. People were interested And I think not only that, but like, mind you, like, I forget what they were called before Dillinger Escape Plan, but they were, they were a hardcore band. What was it? Arcane. Arcane. Yeah. So they were Arcane, which was a hardcore band before Dillinger Escape Plan. And then, you know, they were essentially like, you know, this is kind of a, we don't want to like kind of box ourselves into a genre you know we want to just like do whatever the fuck we want to do you know which i think is admirable especially for guys who have such chops you know like these guys can definitely play so they knew that they you know kind of wanted to get out of any sort of box so you know they started dillinger skate plan they're doing wild music that nobody had ever really heard before um and i think that the fact that they were moving on from calculating infinity and trying new stuff is like like for guys like this, like obviously, you know, like all these guys want to do is kind of push the envelope and try new things that they hadn't done before. So, um, I think the spirit of it is cool. I just personally, I don't feel like some of the things that they were trying on this record really hit for me personally, you know? Yeah. Obviously it hit for a lot of people, but like we said, there were songs that sounded like faith no more. There were songs that sounded like at the drive-in there were songs for me, like, just to make some deep references that sounded like 
you know, a band called Brainiac from Dayton, Ohio, or like, mm. you know, some kind of screamo stuff that was going on in like the mid to late nineties, like majority rule or page 99. For sure. Like, For there was sure. Like, a lot of, a lot of stuff that, I mean, there are a lot of influences here, you know, but I think that, um, they were definitely trying to get out of the like strict, like hyper mathy aggressive bucket and appeal to a broader audience. Um, which I don't know, maybe they weren't even trying to appeal to a different audience. They were just trying to play different types of songs. It doesn't really matter to me. You yeah. Know? It doesn't really but, matter. No. Yeah. But like, uh, it's cool. It just, it, it didn't hit for me, you know? Um, and so, I'm actually curious, like it made me think a lot about, I mean, they have like four albums after this and yeah, <laughs> I noticed, I noticed actually I, I didn't do all my research, you know, I didn't listen to all the albums. I didn't do Same. all of that stuff, but I did look at the, the final set list of their last show. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cause it just made me think like, it was kind of of a test for me because I was thinking to myself, like the songs that I think of as being like quintessential Dillinger songs, like are those even quintessential D- Dillinger songs? And it turns out they're not like, I'm just an old man that like is out of touch with <laughs> Dillinger fans. So like, that's cool. You know, like whatever they have a different audience. Well, right. And it was one that was built through a lot of time. Um, you said some really incredible stuff that I want to touch on here. Um, one, the point you made about it feeling like they were throwing spaghetti at the wall. Yeah. For bands from the underground or aggressive music world, this wasn't a totally unique phenomenon. This was something you saw happen with bands pretty frequently when they started to ascend. And I don't say that in a negative way. And um, I could put some negative feelings on that because quite often it led to records that felt uneven and forced or creativity placed where in a place of uh, weakness, you know, mm-hmm. um, to me, I think about uh, from the, the hardcore punk world, the band shelter who did a record called beyond planet earth. Uh, they had, they had done several independent records. They were um, a, a hardcore band that kind of had a softer sound, a little bit of melody and they did a uh, a debut album on well, not their first record, but their their major label debut on Roadrunner. It's hard to say major, but you know, bigger label, um, Mantra, and it did pretty well, and it led to some bigger op- opportunities, including going and, and opening for No Doubt at the height of No Doubt. Um, and then they came out with this record Beyond Planet Earth, where it seemed like they had a song with samples, <clears throat> a couple songs where they went really slow, a couple ballady type songs, a ska song. And it felt really uneven and really apart from the, the sound before. And I mean, I, there's a ton of other examples, a lot of times from the aggressive music world in this time frame, the mid to mid nineties to the, I mean, even into the well into the 2000s, you were seeing this, um, and probably before too. But with Dillinger, I see that on this record because I think they pull out, like I said, I think they pull out some of their more challenging parts, 
and some of their more uniquely aggressive parts and replace them, whether it was intentional because they were trying for something or because it was, hey, this is just what we want to do. Either way, I'm fine with. Um, it feels thought out. It feels like it was known. Like, okay, let's let's these drop beats where we then go into this this odd jazz bass type thing going on. Like, we're gonna we're gonna step away from that, um, and we'll do this kind of more, you know, at the drive-in part or or Mike Patton part or Nine Inch Nails song, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But do you think that would have thrown off other listeners like yourself who what you were getting on Calculating Infinity felt more singular? Because I can't think of many other records that, that did what that record do, did. And, and you should tell me if, if you think there are. But I feel like it kind of was doing its own thing. And for Dillinger, with Miss Machine, it's like, well, we, we're able to cite all these references. I even think there's stuff... You know, I think your page ninety nine majority, uh, yeah, majority rule. I think I even hear a lot of vocally stuff that the singer is taking from other vocalists of the time. I, I think that the singer uh, of American Nightmare, I hear his vocals in a couple oh, of the yeah. song. You know, uh, I didn't even who, think about that. Yeah, and and I mean, and there's even a track. I believe it is. I think it's the fourth song, Van Damsel, mm-hmm. and I just have metalcore, and I was like, it's stop and go, but it's sort of up tempo. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm getting like these every time I die vibes, um, and there are a lot of other bands that kind of have that too. Band but so you came to mind. Oh yeah. Do you think that people who liked Dillinger in the calculating period? do you think this would be a harder pill to swallow than just some random heavy music listener coming to it fresh? Yeah, I do. Because I think that like at the time there was a lot of music that if you were a Dillinger, if you were a calculating infinity Dillinger fan, um, you may have not been into. And I feel like this record took, I'm, I don't want to say influences, but it, there were similarities between this and a lot of what was happening at the time that may have been off putting to you. No, I think that that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, two questions. One, do you think this is a more palatable record for someone coming to it fresh who maybe is familiar with aggressive music, hardcore, metalcore, what have you metal? Would this be easier to jump into or would it be easier to jump into calculating infinity? I think this is a better gateway. Um, there's more, there's more kind of variance in the songs. I think like, I, I really think that there's three Dillinger's on this album. There's like the chaotic calculating infinity Dillinger. There's the like experimental kind of like, we keep saying at the drive-in. So I'll just say like, at the drive-in kind of like music of that time yeah. sound. Um, and then there's like, there's kind of like a soundtracky part where like, I actually wrote for the, the beginning of the song phone home. It made me think like Dillinger's game plan could have made a really cool soundtrack if they had just taken the vocals out and like gotten really weird. Um, yeah. So to me, there's like, there's kind of three parts to this album and I think you can, 
a lot of people obviously love all three parts. I kind of like two-ish of those parts, you know, but I think that you can <laughs> you could hear this album and you could, you know, kind of figure out if you wanted to go deeper or not, but I think it's a good entryway. Yeah, I, I also think um I think it I think it's definitely a better a good entryway. Okay, and then number 2 and we we kind of try to do this one regularly, but going into this, did you expect it to sound like it did? Yeah, I kind of did. I mean, and I think that's why I may have not really listened to it when it came out. Um, you know, listen, I don't I don't have any sort of issue with bands trying to appeal to a broader broader audience or just generally, you know, naturally acquiring a larger audience. It's like it's not my business. It's cool. I just yeah, I, th- I think that um, I remember this record coming out and I remember it getting the sort of attention that I I was just kind of like, you know what? I might listen to it, but I'm not going to listen to it now. It just wasn't the kind of thing that I was that interested in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't no. know. Really, I, I don't really know how to word it. I mean, I'm always the guy that if, if everybody's listening to a thing, I don't want to listen to it. Um, and that's kind of how this record felt when it came out, because mind you, I mean, this was five years after their last LP. So it was like, really people were psyched, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this was getting big attention, you know, uh, it's hard to understate that. Like we asked the question like, Oh, why did we choose this record? And, and I liked your answer a lot. Um, there made a lot of sense for us to do this, but, but a big reason this did was because this was Dillinger's escape plan for a moment. We're seen as like, Hey, this is a band who not only are they one of the biggest bands who came out of their, for lack of a better word, subgenre and world, but that people saw as like, hey, this could be a band who really changes the game sonically and has a long lineage of people who trail in their wake. Which kind of yeah. leads me to my next question, which is, do you think there's a lot of bands who take from Dillinger? <sighs> And Honestly, I think that's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there are. Um, I might not be in touch with what's going on enough to know. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't hear it. So I think my answer would be no. Well, I, and, and that's where I say it's it's a loaded question. It's more like a trick question. Yeah. I think there are, are bands who might be dipping their toe in the Dillinger well but very few who are actually taking from it the parts that make it so unique because I think what what you find is more bands who will just take a part here or there or these things. But what Dillinger was always trying to do was was create these much larger scale songs that were intricate and had a lot of different parts and like that composition is fundamentally why they, what set them apart from so many bands. And that is the component I don't hear anyone trying to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, you know, if, if we have some people out there who are really dyed in the wool fans of this and, and of this world, you might be able to give us some examples and we'd love to hear that just, just to hear it. We might be able to even have one of you guys on the podcast. Cause there's, I, I feel like there's, there's probably, there, I feel like there are things here that like both you and I are missing, you know, for I sure, mean, for sure. 
and, yeah. and that's that's the beauty of this is that we know there's always going to be someone who might like something more than us. So yeah, we're always happy to hear from them. I mean, um, I think that I think just to your point, like it's not every band can even pull this stuff off. I mean, the 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 musicianship and the 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 chops that these guys have is like it's something it's something to behold, you know I mean? Like it doesn't cut it. This kind this kind of band like just doesn't come around every once in a while, you know? No, it's exactly. Bad. So they were very special, very important. Um, and I will ask this question though. I will also be leading you to the answer. <laughs> uh, do you think Dillinger escape plan were ahead of their time? And if so, <laughs> um, <laughs> What elements do you would you cite? Um, because I think there's an argument that there's a lot of their elements that are very much of the time. Yeah, there are definitely musically. I think there that. is. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like they were ahead of their time in the way that they were like making electronic music with actual instruments. Um. <sighs> Like excellent at, at point. This, like at, like at this point, you can just program all this shit, and they actually like figured out how to play it. <laughs> and I would say there are bands <clears throat> who took from them some of the the tempo stuff, some of the really chaotic, racing, kind of daring nature. Um you know, to, to go into a world that I know even less about than, than math core, I'd say the death core world. I'm not going to say they're pulling influence, but I think you'd be foolish to think that both, uh, calculating infinity and Miss machine could have, could have played a role in some of these players feeling like they could string together death core part, death, death metal in hardcore song structures where it's just blazing fast. Um, ripping and then into these chaotic breaks uh, without a band like Dillinger Escape Plan clearing clearing at least a landing space for that kind of music. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then the foray of mixing <clears throat> more aggressive metalcore type sounds with this sort of industrial uh, sonic kind of legacy and pulling some more tuneful like Nine Inch Nails type stuff in. I feel like all that is something that would play really well in that scene today. So um, I'm actually surprised I don't hear more about this record from people in the uh, hardcore and metalcore world because when I listen to it, I hear a lot of more contemporary stuff from that kind of from that that scene on a national level. So yeah, I mean it pulls. It, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in this album, right? So I mean, like everybody can listen to it and take something they might only like 15% of it, but like maybe they really like that 15% of it, you know? So I think that again, this was a big record at the time people were talking about it. Maybe people heard it and just wanted to take certain pieces of it. So there's definitely influence. I mean, this is a band that's been around for a long time. Um, I don't know. I think it's undeniable, Yeah. but it's just like, what, what Dillinger do you like? You know, is the question for me. I really like the way you framed it in two different ways that there's three Dillingers on this record. I heard that. And then the, the kind of Dillinger fan base, the, the calculating is the peak and it stops there. And then the audience that probably 
I, I think there is an audience that starts at this record. And yeah. they might have respect for what became before this. But it's like, yeah, but then they found who they were here and kept right. building on that. Right. I mean, like, and also, all right, just a few points. First of all, Dillinger Escape Plan is an awesome band name. And like thinking of a band name is really hard. So I just want to put that out there because that's something I thought of when, when we were, you know, listening to this record. True. Um, the second thing is they just like go on YouTube and pull up any Dillinger Escape Plan live footage, particularly I think there's one where um, the singer Greg Pusciato like walks across people's heads for like easily like 20 feet. It's <laughs> wow. pretty, it, it's pretty amazing. It's, I think it was like a Virgin Megastore show they did or something, but. Oh yeah. That's, that's sort of like legendary. So it's like, yeah, pretty le- yeah, yeah. I think he got a bunch of shit for it, but like, you know, feel how, feel how you feel about it. Like you don't see live bands going off that way, like all that often. And particularly bands that can, play music this complicated with such competency and like be so tight and like still be like the most energetic live band you've ever seen, you know? So like, I think there was a lot more to the Dillinger kind of legacy and what was going on for them than just what you hear on the album, you know, like it was, it was kind of a, you go see them live. It's like a sight to see. And I think that's, that's something that, you know, when we talk about particularly bands, you know, from five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever, like your live performance really matters. You know, I mean, if you can kill live, like you're going to do well because people are going to buy your record just because they saw you, you know, important. Yes. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's hugely important. So, um, I'd like to, cause we're start wrapping up here. Yeah. I want to go through this a little bit and see what we're keeping and what we're cutting. Okay. I like, I like this exercise. Ah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Panasonic youth. First song on the record. We keeping it. We're cutting it. Keep. Keep. Sunshine. The werewolf. We keeping it. Str- we're cutting it. Let me just say strong opener, but, uh, it sounds, I think it was, I don't know if it was conscious, but it definitely like as an old Dillinger listener, it brought me in. Cause I was like, okay, cool. Couldn't agree more. Feels safe to open there. It's uh, it's not reminiscent of the first song on Calculating Infinity, but it has because Calculating Infinity they drop you right into the mathy like guitar noodling like yeah. Panasonic Youth brings it, keeps it heavy, keeps it hard, and there's not really any curveballs. All that said, if this is your bag, this song hits the notes. Yep. All right. Sunshine the Werewolf, which we both noted, highlight of the record. Yeah, second half. Easily, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, So that stays. Highway Robbery. Um, This is where they start experimenting. And for me, it's like, I I don't like it. So you're out. See, this is where the different versions of Dillinger start to, to yeah, like you said, like the thread starts to unravel here. Yeah. There's a version of this record where I would keep it. I'm going to cut it just for the sake. I'm going to try to make a more concise, focused in record. So no highway robbery. Van Damsel. 
cut it. This is like this is the one song on the record that like I actually there's no kind of redeeming quality about it. I I just don't like this song. This song went over me like water. I thought it was I was nonplussed by it. So uh, it's gone. Phone home. As we both said, this is the Nine Inch Nails homage. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It's, it's experimental. I, again, I, I thought the first half of it was really cool or the, I don't know, the first minute of it was really cool. <laughs> right. And it made me think like they could do some cool soundtrack shit. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, I'm, I'm keeping it. I I'm mean, keeping it. Wow. I don't, you I don't love it, but I'm keeping it. I think it's cool. You triple sold it to me because of the soundtrack. That is a soundtrack song. Yeah. Okay. Um, we are the storm. Um, this is another one just to all preface. I'm keeping it. It's another one like Sunshine the Werewolf where it's uh, Jekyll and Hyde. The first half has its own thing going on. The second half brings me in because it's this weird fusion kind of like there's elements of it that remind me of the the post-hardcore band from the early 90s into another. Um, mm. But also some prog rock vibe. Overall, I don't love it, but I keep it. Where are you at? I'm going to cut it. Um, this is actually like, for me, the second half of this is where it feels like they're like, they don't really know what they're, they're doing. It just, it doesn't feel there's like a confidence to certain parts of this record that I really like. And this is the part that just doesn't feel super confident to me. It feels like, like they're almost letting you know that they're experimenting and <laughs> I, 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 I could lose it. I don't disagree with you. And I think they revisit this theme a couple songs later and we'll talk about yeah. it when we get there. Uh, Crutchfield tongs. This to me is like, like lose it. Like it's, it's, it's <laughs> this, I, the I, way I, you I, describe I, Van Damsel. Like this is my, hard. this is my, this is my, I don't care about this song at all. So, well, I mean, the thing here is like, it's literally filler. I mean, like <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, you know, again, whatever, I'm going to sound harsh. It's just like, this is a song that you put on the record only because you want that sound clip to play when you like are tuning your guitars live. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, essentially, can we get to the like 40 minute mark on this record? Oh, if we yeah. do that, here we go. Um, setting fire to sleeping giants. This is one of the singles off this record. Yeah. I, and I think this is where I think it was a conscious choice that the singles definitely have their own sound. Uh, yes. Um, I would, I would cut it. I mean, this is like, it's the experimental stuff. They're going in a direction that I'm, I'm not really a fan of. So I love uh, it. Cause you're speaking as a fan and I, I'm with it so hard on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, setting fire to sleeping giants. I'm cutting it because this is their most. We're trying to be on radio in 2004 sound. Right. And that sound particularly, it's like there was this post new metal space where nobody wanted to be new metal anymore, but they wanted to be aggressive guitar music with a, a lead singer who could sing, but also some like hard riffs. Yeah. And it just, it's halfway to that, but it's, hundred percent of the way to nowhere particularly good. So, and just, just to add to that, um, I watched the music video for this and it made me like it less. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, enough said, uh, 
baby's first coffin. Um, I don't have strong feelings, but I would cut it. <laughs> this is the uh, this is the We Are the Storm sequel because yeah. the second half again it kind of you get the reprieve of the like, hey, we're kind of doing a weird thing. Um, I'm not offended by it. I think We Are the Storm does it better, so I would lose this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, unretrofied. Cut it. I'm sorry. Like this is this is where and all right. Just to take a slight detail. Yeah, are you do, you're doing a three song single here? I'm at least yeah, getting exactly. into like five or six. That's, one of the conclusions that I came to after listening to this was I think that they're a great EP band. Like I think that. Oh, like, oh wow! Like, like, and no, but I see. All yeah, right, no, because you, you you mentioned that the um the EP under the under the under the running board. Right. That's that's where you find at least one of their songs was your favorite material, right? Yeah, and and I mean I think that record is like twelve minutes long. Um I think the Mike Patton right. EP is eight, like eighteen minutes long, and I think the uh the very first EP is I don't know, twenty, twenty five minutes long. But like sure. this is really, really aggressive music. And I say that as someone who listens to like really, really like really punishing stuff that like most people would consider, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like, like a blender going off, you know, like Correct. most Yeah. People, yeah. Like, yeah. We're, we both Peter and I have a uh, certain musical f- foray into to stuff that, that you, that you would, you would just say no. If your aunt said, Hey, let me hear what that crossed out CD sounds like. You just go, no, I can't. Really. Yeah, exactly. Or even just like, you know, like throbbing gristle or thing like <laughs> and people people would not even consider that music. But like my right. point is I have a really high tolerance for this stuff. And I just think that um the pace at which like this band moves, I think that they they find a groove and it like if you can sum it up in like fifteen <laughs> minutes, it's like the best thing you've ever heard. But if you if you if you try to go deeper with it, it I, I just feel like they, it loses the power. Yeah. Um, and this is a record that like, if they, if there were three songs on this and it was a three song EP, I think it would have been super strong, but like, because there's so many different flavors and there's so much going on as like a 40 minute album, like it really, it, it lost me. I'm not going to lie. I'm cutting unretrofied. <laughs> I will read this because I think it sums it up. Yeah. Unretrofied was featured in WWE SmackDown versus Raw 2006 for PlayStation 2. Uh, so it makes me think of the genre of music, which is uh, aggressive wrestling intro music. Yeah. Um, and do you have any thoughts on the last song, The Perfect Design? Um, it felt like a return to form. Like if it felt like they were doing... Um, Panasonic Youth, the first song, they kind of like returned, bookending the record. Yeah, they kind of returned to that like earlier kind of Dillinger flavor again. Um, it was fine. I would keep it. Okay, I, I was completely unmoved, and by that point, I think I I, I can barely really remember that song. Um, I think yeah. it was fine. Yeah, no, yeah. nothing. I actually think that Panasonic Youth uh, was memorable in a way that 
some of the other songs that were more true to form weren't on this record. But, uh, but so, yeah. So overall, this is an interesting listen, no question. And, um, despite some of the critique you've heard from both of us and, and playfulness, uh, major respect to the band Dillinger escape plan for doing what they do. Um, this is interesting. This is cool. Uh, and I think even they would admit this isn't for everybody. Yeah. I mean, listen, like we, we talk about a lot of music. Um, we, and the idea here is to just, you know, talk through it. It's not, we're not necessarily, necessarily going to like everything. We're not necessarily going to recommend everything. I think that, um, this is a record everyone should listen to just because it's, these dudes are like on top of their game in terms of how they play their instruments and what they're doing. You know, I mean, there's not many bands that sound like them, so it might not be in your lane, but like, it's kind of amazing that they're even able to do what they do, you know? So don't take what I say, particularly the wrong way. The fact that I want this in EP doesn't mean that like there aren't thousands and oh yeah thousands of people around the world that love this album. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm not the audience, you know, and that's fine. Yeah, no, I think it's 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 worth letting people know that this is not they're not some fly by night band. Um, for example, the song "Setting Fire to Sleeping Giants" has three point one million streams on Spotify, and that Dillinger Escape Plan has one hundred eighty eight thousand monthly listeners still today, three years after they've been broken up. So, um, yeah. I'd say they, they did quite well for themselves. Absolutely. Um, well, I think that kind of wraps it up. Pete, what are we doing next time? Oh, wait. We're going to keep that secret, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I think we are. Let's let them know next week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, as always, you can email us at... It came from njpod at gmail.com. And find us on social media at... At It Came From NJ Pod. Thank you. Uh, We'll see you all next week for another It Came From New Jersey. Take care.